All right, let's go in our Bibles to Luke chapter 12 today. Luke chapter 12. We're going to focus on verses 13 through 21. We have Luke 12 in your worship guide because when you read the book of Luke, it is a historical narrative. So it's one story on top of one story. And what you see here uh, in Luke chapter 12 is a continuation on from chapter 11. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to give a running commentary so that we understand what's going on in the biblical narrative so that we don't take it out of context. And this is the beginning of our four-week series on God, cash, and uh, a biblical approach to money. Now, right out of the gate, when you say money and church in the same sentence, a lot of times it is shut-off time. Y'all know, a lot of times when we associate money and church, money and missions, it's like, okay, where is the plug for the church to ask for money? Number one, when usually that's our response, it means that we don't have a biblical approach to money. So what we're going to do today and then the next three weeks is we're just going to take a wide to a narrow approach, big picture, Then close picture on what does the Bible actually say about money? Not even the whole series is about giving per se, but do you remember the first time you ever received money? For for some of us, allowance was given. For some, the parent says, your allowance is me letting you stay here. Right? And some, it was when you got some amen, amen, right? And some, it was when we had that first job as as a teenager, and then there's... Always that guy, you know, late, late 30s, living with mom and dad who's never had a job. And um, y'all okay this morning? It's tense in here. I don't know why. Maybe because we said money, right, Barry? All right, so here's the thing. We're going to talk about all of that. What does the Bible say about savings? What does the Bible say about debt? What does the Bible say should be my approach to work? But what we're going to look at today is a picture of what often happens with our hearts going back to even before we received our first paycheck. The issue of covetousness, seeing something that's not ours and our heart becomes attached to that. Becoming attached to it so our mind and our heart and our mental and emotional and spiritual energy becomes focused on something that we want. And if we can get that thing, then everything is going to be much, much, much better. But do you remember when you got your first paycheck and it was like you got it and you thought, I thought I was going to make this month. But then there's this one word called government and you're like, man, I didn't know they'd take out that much. And so then you, you're left with just a little bit and you worked a lot. And then the question is, right, what do you do with this? Like, what do you do with the paycheck? Some people, it's like automatically got to pay the bills, right? And so you're paying the bills. And after you pay the bills and if there's some left, then it's like, well, what do we do with this? Well, if you're wise, you say, well, let's, let's put a little bit back, you know, like give 10%. Save 10%, live on the rest. And it's like if you have a little bit left over, say, well, let's let's go out to eat. And if you got some left over after that, it's like, what do I do with this? And we have a lot of people in churches all across America. And it's not that we necessarily raise our fist to God and say, God, I refuse to read your word. I don't want to learn about financial stewardship. I don't want you in my life. But it's like we've never been taught. Right? You know, we've come and we're like, well, I know the Bible talks about giving and it talks about saving and hard work, but how do I actually approach my paycheck? 
or my allowance. So that is the beginning of this Sunday today, the beginning of we're going to just set out 2015 differently. And if we could be very honest, there are some of us and we have made poor financial choices in the past. We're not even going to ask for an amen. And we are, we are literally strapped. I mean, we are literally broke right now because of those choices. So then the question becomes, especially if you're married and you have a family and you're in deep, deep debt, how do you begin to shovel out of this hole? If you've ever been uh, mud riding, it's known in Virginia often as four-wheeling. Sometimes you can get the frame buried so deep that you can hook two trucks up and they begin to spin. So it's like, let's call in the truck that has to be winched to something else. And you have to have this long caravan of vehicles that are locked down to pull you out of the mud. And sometimes that's the way that we can be financially. And then when it comes to marriage, we're so stressed out, husband and wife, because we don't know where, how we're going to pay the bills. And we would like to take the kids to McDonald's once in a while. But sometimes when it seems like there's more bills and there's not enough money, then stress begins to mount up and life is hard. Can I get an amen on that? Like you, you, you don't, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to figure out that work and life and relationships are difficult. So then it begins to spill over, right? Married folks. That stress begins to spill over between both of you. And now instead of being on the same team, it seems like you're fighting over whether we should do this or this. Well, there's good news. The Bible speaks to all of that. And in these next four weeks, we're going to look at some keys from God's word. Whether you're doing great, whether you've saved and whether you've worked hard or whether, you know, you've made some choices along the line. And you say, Jeff, I've worked for all these years and I don't even have anything in the bank. Everyone within that spectrum, the word of God is going to be able to provide some powerful, powerful tools for life. Not just what we put in the plate on Sunday morning, but how do we look at finances from a biblical view? So let's go to Luke chapter 12, and this is our our driving thought for today, a biblical approach to money. Here it is, the way the Bible would have us think about and feel and act in regards to money is for us to live in such a way to show that money is not our God. This comes from John Piper preached a sermon on that. How do you live in such a way that you show that your stuff is not what you really live for? And this is in your outline. This is just a practical working definition of a God. A practical definition of a God would be an all-powerful being from whom one receives his or her commands or directions for life. It means what or whom we look to to receive just what should I do. Well, if you go to Luke chapter 12, you see there in beginning in verse 1. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they were... This is Black Friday shopping before there was Black Friday shopping. And they were, help me out, trampling one another. And Jesus began to speak to his disciples and say, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. So here's what happened in chapter 11. In chapter 11, Jesus decides to go full auto with the gospel gun of truth. He's got people there and he begins to point out the Pharisees. Now, sometimes, especially I would say in the South, there's a southern hospitality, right? There's, we've been, we've heard it called southern charm, southern politeness. So the way that usually works out in the south, and this is not biblical by the way, but if we've got a problem with someone, we don't usually go to that person, we go to other people, right? Right? Never mind. All of y'all are, y'all are perfect and safe. That's just me, right? Okay. So 
So I'm just preaching to, to totally sanctified saints here this morning. So for the rest of us, maybe the one or the two that maybe have done that one time before in our life, you go to the people that are not associated with the problem or the solution, and we begin to share about that person. Notice what Jesus did. Jesus begins to, in chapter 11, it starts out with, with the Lord's Prayer. And this is Luke's a version of the Lord's Prayer. But then um, it gets very, very difficult in verse 14 when Jesus cast out a demon of someone who wasn't able to speak, a mute person. All of a sudden, the Pharisees jump on it and they say, Jesus, you cast out demons because you're the prince of demons. You're the head honcho of the demon parade. And Jesus sees an opportunity when there's been public speech and then public mistruth. In other words, they spread something that was not true, so Jesus was going to address it. And then for this whole chapter, he just lays into the Pharisees. We don't have time to get into it. But then over in verse number 37, while Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. And so he went in and reclined at the table. And then the Pharisee began to see that Jesus didn't keep these specific customs. And then Jesus says in verse 40, Now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. And then he goes on all these woes. He begins to tear up the Pharisees in front of people. Notice verse 45. Then one of the lawyers, this is so awesome. This was not a like a political lawyer. This is a lawyer that dealt in the scriptures. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. In other words, he was kind of offended. It's like when that truth is being proclaimed, everybody's like, all the lawyers are like, well, Jesus is nailing, I mean, he is nailing those Pharisees to the wall. But wait, I think I fit in that crowd as well. Hey, Jesus, you're offending us. Notice what Jesus does. He he just turns that turret of the gospel gun of truth and he says in verse 46, woe to you lawyers also. (laughs) I mean, that's Jesus' approach. Glad for coming. You are a sinner. Right? I mean, seriously, every time you see in Jesus when crowds got together, Jesus almost got more intense with the message. You know what sometimes we do in church in America today? We try to do more things that will attract people. You know what Jesus did? He made the demands of discipleship even higher. Y'all all right? That means when it's like, oh man, things are going great. Jesus would kind of be like, put on the brakes. By the way, woe to you also. And by the way, woe meant the wrath of God was coming and you would go to hell forever. That ties into Jesus' teachings on hell. So here's what Jesus begins to do in verse number 4. He begins to talk about hell. He says in verse 5 specifically, I warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has the authority to cast into hell. And then if Jesus wasn't more clear, he says, quote, Yes, I tell you, fear him so can you imagine how quiet it must have gotten at that point all these people came together they see the pharisees they're like yeah get those religious people jesus is i mean he's taking them down then the lawyers jesus you offend us jesus is like in you as well and so everybody's coming together and jesus says and by the way all of y'all fear god Because he's the only one that's keeping you alive this minute. And just let's make an asterisk note here today. And we're so glad that you're here at Rocky Mount Baptist Church. Aren't we, church? 
I mean, church folks, non-church folks, we, we welcome questions here. We're so glad that you're here. But let me just say that if you're here and you've got resentment and bitterness and rebellion in your heart to God, if God calls you to follow him, which means to give your life to him, doesn't mean that you do some religious ritual, but it simply means a transfer of authority. The Bible calls repentance from yourself to him. And you refuse to do that. Jesus's words to you are fear God because he's the only reason why you don't have a brain aneurysm right now. That's it. The only reason why you'll make it home is because God's mercy has extended to that time period. Aren't you glad you came to church today? And here's the thing. You know the reason why we don't say stuff like that today? Because we have this God sometimes of church growth instead of worshiping the God to whom the church should grow to. Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we're so excited about all what God has done. But at the end of the day, it's not about church growth. It's not about any of our style here. It's not about the, about the fact that I don't wear a tie most Sundays. It is about the word of God and the truth and the fact that every single one of us will one day die and stand before God. And what you do with Jesus determines everything after that. Everything. And so if you're here today, and this may be the first time you're entertained the claims of Christ... If Jesus is right, then everything in life and eternity hinges upon what he said was true. That means Jesus' words on life, upon death, upon eternity doesn't allow for other opinions. In the U.S., we're all about multiculturalism. and we're, I mean, that's fine for people to come who are different ethnicities, different backgrounds. But our problem is often when we say we just want different opinions, what we're really saying is we don't believe in truth, capital T. Jesus did. It's not a white truth. It's not an American truth. It's not a European truth. It's not a southern truth. Which, by the way, Jesus was of what ethnicity? He was a Jew. So if you claim to be a Christian here today, you are a member of a Near Eastern religion. Put your cowboy boots on and watch a John Wayne thinking about that. You are. It's from the East. It's not a Western thing. But here's Jesus splitting Western and Eastern philosophy saying in John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So that means that today, regardless if we didn't even have an imitation, old school style, we would have a decision To make, whether we believe Jesus or whether we say we don't. And you and I know in conversations, whether we're at McDonald's or whether we're at work, if someone looks at us and they say, I don't believe you, what they're saying without saying it is, I think you're a liar, I think you're crazy, or you're just, to use a southern expression, you're just full of it. And it's the same thing when Jesus says, fear God. Submit your life to God. And if we walk away from that, Rejecting it. We're saying those things about Christ. But notice how Jesus, and this is an intense message. You're like, I thought we were talking about money. Notice how Jesus, every time in these narratives, he gives these sayings and gives these sermons and stories that are so heavy, which should cause us to take a step back in our minds and hearts and ask why. Why would Jesus, why does it seem that he keeps coming back to the same concept of the kingdom of God and repentance and hell and the sovereignty of God and our need to give our lives to him, not just come to church and hear sermons? It's because Jesus loves us. And he loves us enough to shake us 
from where we are. Then it gets even more difficult. Notice and begins there in verse number 8 and it goes all the way through verse 12. Jesus starts talking about the unpardonable sin, which is blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, um, just so you know, the blasphemy challenge that was big on YouTube back, I think, 07, 08. Um, just to say, like people were saying that they blaspheme the Holy Spirit. Biblically, the unpardonable sin is seeing that miracles were worked by the power of God. For example, Jesus healing the mute man. All of the Pharisees, they knew the Bible. They knew it was the power of God. But instead of saying that it was the power of God, they attribute it to Satan. And Jesus is saying that is the unpardonable sin. Meaning that a heart that gets to that point is so hard that it can't even hear God. Heavy stuff. All right, let's turn the vehicle And this is possibly the most random verse in the Bible. Which, by the way, when you read the Bible chronologically like this, you come across stuff that just makes you want to look at people and be like, really? Notice what it says, verse 13. Then, after all this, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Okay, was there any mention of inheritance up to this point? Was there there any issue of any subject other than Jesus is like the sovereignty of God, hell, judgment, unpardonable sin. So where in the world is this guy coming from? He's coming from honestly the place that many of us can be at or are to where we're, where we are so enamored with stuff that we can't hear the words of Jesus on what's truly important. And notice what Jesus says. Verse 14, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care. So in other words, Jesus addressed the guy that said, I didn't come to be circuit court judge. But he says in verse 15 to everyone, take care and be on your guard against all what? Covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. In other words, Jesus says that Life is not all about stuff. And some of us may be like that guy. We want Jesus to deliver us from financial problems, but we don't want to give Jesus our life. So then Jesus begins to tell a parable, and this is really where we're going to camp out. In verse number 16, And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops. This is a big bumper crop. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Here's the point. Verse 21. So it is, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. Pastor Tim Keller, who pastors in New York City, he wrote a book called Counterfeit Gods. And in that book, he deals with lust and greed and all of these things. And he said something that I never thought of before. He said, in all my years as a pastor, I've never had one person Come in and say, Pastor, I need to talk with you. you. Say, what about? I'm just, I'm just greedy. 
And we laugh, right? Like I'm just struggling with, with covetousness and, and greed and materialism. He said, I've had people come talk to me about anger and, and lust and, and bitterness and forg- unforgiveness and all those things. But he said, never have I had that happen. And I thought, you know what? And all my time as a pastor, which is not really that long, I've never had anybody come talk to me. And even further, I said, well, Jeff, you've never gone to anybody else and talked to them. Like my mentors and people that I looked up to and talk and get counsel, I've never called them up and said, Stan, I've, I've just been thinking about stuff. I'm like, what kind of stuff, right? So here's, here's where it really begins to hit home. It's easy in American churches for us to target big quote unquote sins. At least sometimes church people think they're categorized that way. Like adultery, homosexuality, drug use, getting drunk, beating your wife and your kids, or a lady beating her husband or her children, abuse of things like that. But there's something that's a camouflaged sin, a camouflaged assassin called covetousness that Jesus says, look at what he said again in verse 15. He said, take care, which means watch out. And be on your guard against all covetousness. We could talk about this for days upon days upon days. We all have things that we think are cool, don't we? And let's just admit, some stuff is just cool. If you're into technology, the things that we can do right now, the fact that I come back from Lynchburg the other day, I was able to talk to a friend in Hawaii on the phone, like no delay at all, and he's, he's in Hawaii. And then some of you that are separated from your family, you can pull out your iPhone or your iPad and you can do FaceTime and Skype, you know, and the little kid like tries to touch through the screen because he doesn't understand or she doesn't understand. And we've got, I mean, we've got vehicles that are amazing. There are vehicles now, I know that y'all, that, that have heated seats. I mean, you can get in, your backyard doesn't even have to get cold. You just get in and it's already heated up. Oh man, and we can, we can go to restaurants. I mean, for some of us, we're just like, oh Lord, if you would just deliver me from evil, deliver me from food, right? Like we talked about gluttony two weeks ago, man. And it's just like, I think about it. It's like it just captivates my thoughts. I mean, it wouldn't be a scantily clad woman for some of us guys. It would tempt us. It'd be like, oh, you can eat buffet, right? We're just like, no, no, you're going to be drugged away by the buffet monster. And then for some of us, we just like going new places. You know, it's like the thrill. They call it wanderlust. Like I just, I just want to go to a new place and experience new things and new people. And, and we can laugh because those people were weird, not as weird as the people we live with. And we can have those, those times of experience together and whatever it may be or guns or, or if you're into, uh, if you're, if you're into clothes. And before we know it, those things that God has given us, to be tools. Food is given as a gift. Clothes are a gift. Everything that is legitimate, God gives us as a gift. But sometimes if we're not careful, those gifts can become the attention. And then when we have a lunch break, we pull out the cell phone to do more Google searches on what we're interested in. It doesn't even have to be anything sorted or bad or perverted. But then when we sit down with the word of God, we realize that our thoughts have not been on the Lord have not been on lost people because they've been on something that's not necessarily bad, but it's out of place. That's why Jesus says, take care 
and be on your guard against all covetousness. You say, well, Jeff, you said at the beginning of the message that we're going to talk about how to live in such a way that we show that stuff is not our God. How do we do that? Well, we went through this parable. Let's, let's take some action points from it and we'll see how we can apply what Jesus is teaching. Number one, we should allow the value of money and really the coolness of stuff to remind us of what is of a greater value. Notice what Jesus says in verse 15. He says in verse 15, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Now, this is from the English Standard Version. And for our, our Bible scholars here, this is a very difficult sentence to translate from Greek. That's why if you read different Bible versions, it's translated a number of different ways. Because it literally, the possessions is a present tense, continual type of active. So in other words, what Jesus is saying, he's saying that our life is not does not consist of the things, check this out, that we are currently possessing. Because everything that we have is going to go eventually to dust or rust. There's nobody in here that will contest that. There's nobody going to be like, when I made my arrangements at the funeral home, I had them put a U-Haul on the back of that hearse, I'm bringing it. But no, you're not. You're not. I'm not. Jesus is saying it's temporary possessions. So think about this. Jesus loves us. Jesus is brilliant. Can we all agree on that, right? You create everything. So if it ever occurred to you that nothing's ever occurred to God, I heard somebody say that. I'm like, that's cool. So here's Jesus. He has all knowledge. He has all love. He has every virtue and no vice. And he's telling us, be careful and be on your guard against all covetousness. Why? Because you and I have a temporary time frame in which to live. And what we do with Jesus makes the difference on what happens on the other side. So if that's true, that we won't live forever, then it would be very important not to be distracted by stuff that ultimately is not going to really matter, right? So this is, this is perfectly logical. Jesus is saying, don't get distracted by stuff. But when we're able to experience things that God gives us, let us kind of bounce our mind. And it goes like this. If you guys have ever read that book, um, by Stephen Arterburn called Every Man's Battle. I mean, every, myself included, every single one of us red-blooded guys in here, lust is a battle. Will not ask for an amen. If you're a red-blooded guy and you're like, man, I like women, God made us that way. Excellent message in Sunday school, by the way, on the subject of lust. And in that book, they talk about when you see a beautiful woman, Lord, you, great job great job but you don't some of y'all were so afraid to laugh when you notice that or when you ladies see a good looking man mm, right it's one of those and you just like i can't help it you know and you just like you notice that like you're god has created all of us as sexual beings so, so you notice that guys notice the girls girls notice the guys but instead of dwelling on that and then going going to bed with them in our mind. He said a great thing for us guys is when we see that beautiful woman just to bounce our eyes. Just when the eyes automatically, it's like, man, I wasn't even trying to look. It's like, bounce the eyes. The eyes bounce to the lady, bounce the eyes away. In a similar way, when we have things that we are able to experience, like this guy in this parable was a farmer, experienced a huge bumper crop. What a blessing. And by the way, um, John MacArthur made this point that of all of the occupations in the ancient world, farming was the most dependent upon God. 
The American farmer is awesome. Like so awesome that our government actually pays some farmers not to produce what they could produce. Because if they did, the price of everything would just plummet. The American farmer is awesome. We feed a lot of the world. I mean, we've got tractors and irrigation, all of these technological tools and skill and all, knowledge of the soil. But back then, it was just like if rain doesn't come, then it's just going to be bad. He said, out of all of those ancient occupations, farming was most dependent upon God. And here's this guy. God blesses him. Massive bumper crop. And notice who he consults with in verse 9. 19. And I will say to my soul, soul. He just consults with himself. Not with God. So you say, Jeff, what are you saying? What I'm saying is that when we experience an awesome vacation with our family. And we come back refreshed. And we come back not ready to do physical harm to people that we work with. And we just come back, we just feel better, man. It's just been a great trip. Let that great vacation remind us of, you know what? My home is not here. I'm a sojourner. And one day I'm going to be with the Lord. That's going to be the collection of the greatest family ever. When we get something new, we get new clothes. You're just so excited about it. You know, the Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that the saints were clothed in white garments that are symbolic of our sins that have been washed away. When we get a blessing, we should say, you know what? Because of the Lord, I got this pay raise. Because of the Lord, I was able to pay this bill this month. And let those lesser pleasures, even when we're eating a meal, say, God, this is from you. Thank you. Thank you. And you know what, God? I remember I was at Rockland Baptist Church, and we went through Matthew chapter 5, and you said that I should hunger and thirst after righteousness that I may be filled. So man, this is an absolutely awesome steak. It's so good. I'm starving. And enjoying this steak, that reminds me that there's something greater than just my physical appetites. Thank you, Lord, for this. Because some Christians get into the mindset, they say, I'll never go on vacation. I'll never eat anything other than beans and rice. I will never eat anything other than something that's threadbare that I find at Goodwill. For the glory of God. And then they freak everybody else out and they don't win anybody to Jesus. So what we're saying is when we are able to experience those blessings like this man experienced, that should be a springboard and we should bounce our mind and our thoughts from this blessing to the blesser. Let me give you some verses about how greater Jesus is than anything that we can experience here. Ephesians chapter 2 verse 8. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us. In Christ Jesus. Proverbs 16, 16. How much better is it to get wisdom than gold and to get understanding is to be chosen above silver. Not only that, but I think that in America, this is another point, that we need to respect hard work and reject class warfare driven envy of other people's success. We hear it all the time about the 1%. We hear all the time about the rich people. And here's the biblical perspective. That if you work hard and you work honest and God chooses to bless, there's nothing wrong with financial success. No amens there. In America, all across the board, whether it's Republican, Democrat, Libertarian, there seems to be uh, an unbiblical, especially in the church, an unbiblical preoccupation with other people's success. So here's the way it breaks down. The rich people can have issues with covetousness on what the, covetousness on what they have. And the people who don't have it have covetousness and greed issues on what the other people have. And when it comes to the heart, 
it's the same difference. When we hear about income inequality, that is a slick lie to get us to focus on what other people have so that we'll be jealous of that. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, we should say, if you got it honest and you got it legal, more power to you. Because at the end of the day, it's not what the rich guy does with his or her money. It's what I do with what God has entrusted to me. Does that make sense? Don't fall into that trap. Because every time we talk about money today, we automatically want to target the quote-unquote rich. And that's simply another form of covetousness. But it's simply something that's acceptable in America today. And finally, we need to just simply prayerfully consult about God's word. Consult God's word about financial decisions. You know, I was talking to one of my friends about leaving a legacy. And he's a single guy in his late 30s. Very hard worker, owns his own business, great investor. I mean, if you ever want free stock advice, I can give you his number. But I said, you know, man, when you think about, you know, leaving a legacy and children and families and some people not able to have kids and so forth. And he says, you know what, Jeff? He says, I want to be married. He said, but if God chooses singleness for me, he said, what I'm going to do is I'm going to work hard. And I'm going to save and I'm going to give. And it may be that when I die, I have a million or two and I'm going to leave it all to missions. Notice what this guy did. He bought into, this is a picture-perfect description of American retirement. He says, and we're going to be stepping on toes here, verse 19, I would say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. In other words, it's in the bank, I'm safe. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If the Lord has allowed you to be to the point to where you can retire, That is an awesome opportunity to become more active in serving Jesus. And we know that many people who work their whole lives and then they retire and they just eat, drink, and be merry. They don't eat, drink, and be merry for very long because they sit down on the sofa and they are gone. You've seen it a million times over. Psalm 39, 6 says, Surely a man goes about as a shadow. Surely for nothing they are in turmoil. Man heaps up wealth and does not know who will gather. Notice Jesus says this. He says in verse number 20, Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared. Whose will they be? For some of you have worked hard, you've got some saved up. It's going to go to your children. The more you think about it, you say, Jeff, I've never thought about drinking, but that makes me want to. Or who my kids are dating or married. I don't want it to go to them. Here's the thing. All of it, we're not going to be able to take. We know this. There's nobody here like, can't take it with me. We know that. But Jesus says to be on guard against all covetousness. So here's the way that we live in such a way that we show that stuff is not our God. We look at God's word and we consult with God's word on what to do with our finances. Oswald Chambers says, Beware of anything that competes with loyalty to Jesus Christ. And I think that for those of you that are married or those of you who are dating somebody, talk about this stuff. Talk about money. Be like, you know, what What do you think if you're dating a believer? You say, well, what, do, what do you think about giving? You know, well, how, how, how do you think it would be good that we could pray for and financially support missions? If you're dating somebody and it's just a blank wall, that may be a good sign that there needs to be some praying involved. And for those of us that are married, that can be one of the greatest catalysts for beginning to think and to pray biblically, regardless if we have a lot of money or have not very much. And we'll close with this. Every single one of us that was able to come here this morning, more than likely, we're far richer than 90% of the world's population. 
more, more than likely. I say, Jeff, I don't, I don't have a car. It's broke down. You, you have some place to live that's got heat and so forth and so on. So when Jesus talks about money, biblically, we are probably all in the category, now this may be mind-blowing, but biblically, most all of us, if not all, that four-letter word that starts with R, rich. Whenever we read the scriptures and we see warnings to the rich, let's look in the mirror and say, Lord, you've given me what I have to use for you. And that's what we're going to break down in awesome detail these next three weeks. 